I could not be more excited about the sermon series that we're in right now. I'm excited about it because I cannot think of a, a, a situation this world has been in that I have known of where there is more shaking of institutions, governments, concepts, ideas, worldviews, where people are beginning to think differently, where nobody exactly knows what the future looks like. Everyone feels, everything feels like it's liminal space. Everything feels like it's off-balance space. Everything feels like we're moving into a future that we cannot be certain about. And that, to me, is daunting and exciting. And when you're in that kind of situation, you're asking yourself questions. God, how do we make sense of Yemen? How do we make sense of that? How do we make sense of Aleppo? How do we make sense of Syria? How do, we, how, do we make sense, how do we make sense of Donald Trump? How do we make sense? I mean, serious. How do we make sense of, of what might happen positively or negatively around Brexit? How do we make sense of a generation that's growing up saying, yesterday's securities no longer apply to us. Yesterday's norms are now very different. How do we make sense of all this stuff? And the danger is we all are reaching out for a new golden bullet, a new norm, a new normal, something that we can grab onto and go, it's this way, it's this new idea, it's this new concept, it's this new person who's come up along and he's going to save us but but i think it's time for us to to look at old and ancient truths so what is it that we stand upon what do we really believe about who we are what do we really believe about who god is what do we really think about the intersection between who we are and who god is and who we're created to be and what we should be doing in this world and so we've been studying the Nicene Creed. First time I've ever preached on the Nicene Creed. And we've been, we've been studying that because in 325 AD, a bunch of great Christian minds got together. And they, they, they had seen Christianity explode across the world from a tiny corner of the Roman Empire to suddenly 50% of the known world were following Jesus. And nobody quite knew exactly what everybody else believed. So they hadn't got a Bible yet, and they weren't quite sure how to interpret the Bible if they had one. And so Constantine the emperor gathered this group of great thinkers together in a place called Nicaea in northern Turkey. And they started to talk about what do we fundamentally believe, because some people were saying some whack stuff. And they came up with two things. They came up with this. It's called a Bible. They came up with a canon of scripture, because up to that point... There were loads of Gospels, there were loads of different Gospels, loads of different interpretations about what Jesus did, and there were lots of letters, some of them written by Paul, and there was all this Jewish scripture stuff, and they were saying, how do we know what is God and what is not God? And they, they prayed about it, and they talked about it, and they, they, they went back to the, to the roots, and they said, this is it. They, they gave us a canon, and they also gave us a creed. They gave us a creed, I think, as spectacles to read the canon. They gave us a creed because they knew that if they just gave us this, thousands and millions of people would find life in it and, other, and thousands and millions of people would get confused by it. How, how do we understand that? And what do we really mean by that? And, and who is God in that? And who are we in that? And how do we interpret this stuff? And so they gave us this creed to be able to say, here's like the cliff notes of the Bible. Here's, here's the stuff. If you want to take a shortcut, this is the stuff. This is who God is. This is who we are. On this stuff, you can stand the weight of your life. For those who are looking for an anchor 
of the soul. This is the stuff. And so over the last few weeks, we've taken a look and we've said, hey, what is the nature of belief? What does it really mean to believe this stuff? What does it really mean to take the whole of the weight of your life and place it on the belief in your heart? What does it really mean to go all in to say there really is a God in heaven who knows me and loves me? What, what, what is belief all about? And then we said, who is God? And, and, and we started to talk about the fact that he's not the kind of God that you think he is. He's not smitey and mighty and out to get you. He's not just hanging around with, with some kind of supernatural speed gun. And he's, he's about to get you every time you break the law. He's, he's a father who loves you. And then we started to talk about Jesus. And we said, you know, Jesus is truly God. He's truly God. He's God from God. If you want to see what God's like, check out Jesus. Look at his compassion. Look at his mercy. Look at his grace. Look at his truth. Look at his activity. And you find out what God is really like. And so what we're going to do just before we begin, that was just a little introduction. Well, what we're going to do just before we begin is we're going to read together, if you would, the Nicene Creed. Not, not just so that we can repeat something together, but because this, this statement, this creedal statement, is like a rebellion. It's like a revolution. It's like saying, we believe this stuff, so we don't believe this stuff. We really believe in God, so therefore we don't really believe in consumerism. We don't really believe in materialism. We don't really believe in individualism. We don't believe in a whole stack of isms, we believe in God. He's fundamental, he's at the heart of everything that we're after. So would you stand with me? And if you're able to do that. And then let's just read together. Let's do it as if we mean it, rather than mumble, mumble, mumble. So this isn't like uh, the Lord's Prayer in school. Uh, This is, we believe this stuff. Uh, So in the same way that you sing in worship, let's go for it. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty maker of heaven and earth, of all that is visible and invisible. We believe in one Lord Jesus, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the quick and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He is spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church, We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. And let's take a seat and we're going to look at one particular clause in the creed uh, today. Last time we we took a look at uh, Jesus and his divinity, that he truly was the son of God. And uh, today we're going to look at for us and for our salvation, 
He came down from heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit. He became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. And what we're going to do is we're going to take a a significant look at why it's really important that Jesus is fully and totally human. It's not just important that he's totally divine. It's fundamentally important that you take his divinity and align it with his humanity. And it's really, really important for you. Back in the, uh, the Martin household uh, back home, we have a grow your own Jesus. Got it in America. The concept is really very simple. Jesus is like a mini sponge. He's about two and a half inches tall and you can kind of make out some kind of, uh, uh, um, kind of stuff on his face. And uh, what you do at night is you stick him in a big glass of water. And when you come down in the morning, Jesus has grown. And Jesus has grown to the point when you can make out it's Jesus. And you definitely know that it's Jesus because he's got blonde hair, blue eyes, and he's Caucasian. And, uh, and he's got like a blue shawl on and, and a kind of some kind of shepherd's crook. And it's, it's totally Jesus. It's so cool. You should get one. But it's also kind of so sad. It's so sad that, that, that not only do, if we went onto the streets of Edinburgh today and we started talking about what does God look like, people would have a, a wacky image of what God's like. If you started to talk about Jesus, people would, if they, if they could get beyond him being just a swear word, they'd have a really crazy idea about what Jesus looks like. He's probably some kind of tooth fairy figure, or he's the guy next door who, who's just really nice, or, or, or who is Jesus? The, the, the founders of this creed, they were saying Jesus is totally God. He's Lord, he's King, he's Christ. There is nothing that happens on this planet that misses his attention. But then they go on to say, and he's fully human. He's totally like you and I. He's competent and he's caring. He understands you totally for us and for our salvation he came down from heaven by the power of the holy spirit he became incarnate from the virgin mary and was made man he's totally human he came down that word incarnate in the latin comes from the latin word carne which actually just means meat it's your chili con carne Uh, So that's exactly what it means. So basically what we're being told is Jesus is meat. Jesus fleshed out God for us. He's totally meat. He's flesh and blood. If you stick him, he bleeds. If you don't feed him, he gets hungry. He gets thirsty. He has every single human need that you have because he's totally and utterly human. He incarnated himself. He put on skin and he moved into the neighborhood of the Virgin Mary with a human mother in a miraculous way with a divine father born in a human way. What we're being told is this is humanity. This is what humanity really looks like. This is an incredible miracle. I I don't know sometimes whether we actually get this because I think we're used to the whole Christmas deal. You know, born of the Virgin Mary, you know, baby, God, star, angels but but i don't think we really get it perhaps the most profound verse in the whole of the new testament john chapter 1 
verse 14. The beginning of John chapter 1, John says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. In other words, Jesus is God. And the Word put on flesh and moved into the neighborhood. That's crazy stuff. God was one of us. God walked like you. God looked like you. God experienced the stuff that you experienced. That means that he cried and he felt and he was confused and he was vulnerable and he laughed and he needed the toilet and he befriended people who didn't always befriend him back. This is the miracle and the wonder he put on skin, which just means just a few things. It means that he's like us, he's with us, and he's for us. So this week we're dealing with a very, a very different uh, kind of heresy. Two weeks ago we dealt with the heresy of Arianism. Arianism uh, was named after a priest called Arian, and Arian basically said, Jesus is on the top of the list of great people that ever, ever lived. There is no doubt he did incredible things. There's no doubt he's a, a good heart. There's no doubt that he will, his, his, his fame will last forever, but he certainly cannot be God. He's on the list of great people, but he's not on the list of God people. He's just the great one, Arianism. Now today we're going to take a look at the heresy called docetism. Docetism says almost completely the opposite. Docetism is from the Greek word dose, which means to seem. And what the docetists were saying was that Jesus wasn't really human, he was just seeming to be human. He just looked a lot human, but he was actually just totally God, he wasn't really human, he was pretending to be human. And so the people over here, the Arianists, were saying he's pretending to be God. And the Docetists were saying he's pretending to be human. And, and the writers of the creed say, no, 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 neither of those things are true. He's not pretending to be human any more than he's pretending to be God. He's not pretending to be God any more than he's pretending to be human. It's absolutely crucial for our faith and for being able to stand the weight of your life on your faith that he's totally divine and he's totally human. Because if that doesn't work in that way, it doesn't work for you today. Just doesn't work. Now, docetism, the best way to understand docetism is Superman. Superman is, like, in my opinion, the worst superhero. I mean, he just sucks. He's just given these powers and, you know, glasses on, Clark Kent, glasses off, Superman, underpants over your trousers. It's not, I mean, he's not cool like Batman, who's got some really cool gadgets, or Spider Man, who can swing from things. He's, he's Superman, anyway, all that by the by. Docetism is Superman. Because docetism to Superman, when he, when he puts on his glasses and becomes Clark Kent, he's not really a human being, is he? Because he's sitting there at his desk and he can hear seven miles away uh, a, a little child about to be knocked over by a train. Can't he? And he hears that and he goes, oh no. And he runs to the toilet and changes into his underpants over his trousers and he speeds off and he goes and rescues the woman. And, and, and docetism is the same thing. Jesus isn't really human. He doesn't really feel pain. You can shoot Jesus and he would bleed. You can shoot Superman and he just goes, and the bullet gets stuck because he's not actually human. But Jesus is totally human and totally divine. Perfectly human, perfectly divine. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He became a man. And that's really important because he's, it means he's like us. Which means he gets us. 
It's really important because your husband doesn't really get you. Just fessing up, not 100% of the time. We pretend we do, but we don't. Your wife doesn't get you. She gets you more than you get her, but she doesn't really get you. And your kids, they definitely don't get you, and your parents never will. They just don't. And sometimes your friends don't get you either. They don't really, even your closest friends who understand you, don't get you. But because he is perfectly divine and he's perfectly human, by by perfectly divine I mean he sees all things omniscient. He can do all things omnipotent. He is everywhere, omnipresent, and he is immutable. He doesn't change. That's Jesus. And because he is perfectly human, he's felt what you feel. He's been where you've been. He understands what you understand. He's experienced the crap that you're experiencing. He knows pain and he knows sorrow. He knows rejection and he knows loss. He knows heartache. He knows what it feels like to wake up in the morning and feel like he's got too much to do today. He wants to go back to bed. He knows that because he's totally human. He knows what it feels like to feel that he's going to let people down. He's totally human. He gets you. He knows what you're experiencing right now. He knows why your heart is breaking and why your world is shaking. He knows the temptation that you're experiencing because he's been tempted in the same way. Totally. He's totally divine. And he's totally human. And that's really important. It's important because it means that you're not alone. He is Emmanuel, God with us, like us, of the same substance as us, present with us. So in your fear and anxiety and concern, he's, he's with you right now right now because he's perfectly divine and he's perfectly human and 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 stay with me for a second it also implies that god really loves bodies you ever thought that maybe this is going off on a tangent but god really loves bodies he doesn't hate bodies he's not going ooh bodies we'll give them bodies for a season and then we'll get rid of the bodies because bodies suck i don't know why i gave them bodies in the first place he loves bodies he loves bodies so much that he took a body on he put a body on he lived in it for 30 odd years and 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 he loves us so much which means this your life your body everybody's life everybody's body has intrinsic value god doesn't love god doesn't hate you he totally loves you he loves us enough to become one of us. A poor one of us, a Middle Eastern one of us, an oppressed one of us, a refugee one of us. So life has intrinsic value. You never meet anybody on this planet or in this city that God doesn't love. Never. You never meet anybody that God goes, Ooh, no thank you. You never meet anybody that Jesus didn't come for And the Holy Spirit isn't actively trying to win. He put on flesh. That's why poverty matters. I mean, it matters because it matters, but it it matters because he put on flesh. That's, That's why prejudice really matters, because he loves people created in his image. That's why it really matters. Hear me very carefully. That's why it really, really matters that some people are thinking of electing a president 
who thinks the way he thinks about females. And I, 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 yeah, I'm going to get in trouble for that. But that's why it really matters. It really matters because he put on flesh. Because he really cares. He really cares about people. That's why it really, sex trafficking really matters. It doesn't just matter because you feel compassionate. It matters because he loves people and he loves bodies. And he's concerned about what happens in the here and now, not just what happens in the hereafter. That's why what you think when you look in the mirror really matters. Not just because you're fearfully and wonderfully made, but because he put on flesh. Loves it. Thinks you're great. He gave you that. Thinks it's wonderful. That's, that's why it matters, because he put on flesh for you. If, if, if the creed Christians have been repeating for over a thousand years, they've been, they've been talking about this stuff, and they've been standing the weight of their life on this stuff. I find this utterly fascinating. What connects the majesty of the divinity of Jesus, he was the Christ, he's the king, he's the son of God, with the humanity of Jesus. He put on skin, he likes bodies, and he became a man. What connects those two things? What connects the divinity of Jesus with the humanity of Jesus, the awesome power of Jesus with the, with the understanding and the intimacy and compassion of Jesus? The, the creedal writers say one thing does, you do. You do for us and for our salvation. He put on flesh, became incarnate of the Virgin Mary, and became a man. What? What? What could possess Jesus to leave the throne room of heaven with all the intimacy and wonder of the Godhead to step into flesh and blood and poor flesh and blood at that? And be persecuted and be crucified. What could have possessed him? The the, the writers say you. You. Because he loves you. Because he wants you to know that he knows you. Because he wants you to be restored to him. You do. For us and for our salvation. The creed says the world is screwed up. It's, It's screwed up. The world is not on an upward curve towards betterment. The world is on a downward spiral towards destruction. The creed says the world is screwed up. It needs salvation, which is weird, really. Because if you go into any of the bookshops that still exist in our nation, and you go and find some of the biggest sections, one of the biggest sections is the self-help section. Kind of, you know, seven ways to do this, five ways to do this. And if you learn a few new techniques and if you go on a special diet and if you have a, have a new plan, to a breathing technique, or you can better yourself and you can sort it out and you can fix it and you can make it happen and you can run it and you can solve it. Uh, but the, the, the creed writers and the Bible writers say that's actually not true. There's no fixing it. There's no fixing our pain, our gap, our longing, ourselves outside of this God who's truly God and totally human. There's no hope outside of that. Do you know, part of, one of the things that I do with my job, I, do, I work more than one day, two days. On, on the second day, I sometimes do funerals. 
and I, do, I don't do that many funerals because we have quite a young congregation, but when I do funerals, there is increasingly for me a stark, a stark difference between the funeral of somebody who knows and loves Jesus and the funeral of someone who doesn't. And, and I go and do these funerals, and, and usually it's very sad, but, but usually when someone loves Jesus, there is a celebration of life. Because people know who they are. They know who God is. They know who they are in God, and they know where they're going. And so although it's sad, but, but, but around those funerals, there's always a funeral finishing and a funeral starting. And almost every other funeral I see are funerals of people who have no hope. Funerals of people who aren't standing the weight of their life on the belief in their heart that there is a God in heaven. Funerals of people who don't know that Jesus is fully divine and he's fully human. And I, and I, can, tell, I can tell what's going on by the look on people's faces and by the songs that are chosen. Top, number one, top song chosen at funerals for people who don't yet know Jesus. Don't know Jesus. I've lived a life so full I've traveled each and every highway More, much more than this I did it my way And then there is desperation on people's faces Because it's not a bad song I think I should record it It's not, it's not, it's not a bad song But it's indicative of the desperation in people's hearts and lives The only hope they have is, is in themselves And they know that's no hope because the world needs salvation. And the creedal writers say for us and for our salvation, the God who is fully divine became fully human so that we might be saved with us, like us, for us. That word salvation really quickly is the, it comes from the root word, um, Hebrew word, yasha. And it means to give space. It means to liberate and set free. It means to make different. And it's the root meaning of the, the name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. And so what we're being told is that Jesus left and came so that you might be free. So that you might be delivered. So you might be free to be the person God created you to be when he first had you in mind. So that you might run with the dream that God has placed in your heart. So that you might be the biggest version of you that's possible because he stepped out of heaven and into this world he saved you and that word salvation comes in the new testament pregnant with a number of other words that kind of make a holistic word and a holistic understanding of salvation it comes pregnant with the word reconciliation it comes pregnant with the understanding that god in jesus is reconciling us to himself that's what he's doing. He's making a way. He's making a bridge. He's allowing the possibility of us to return. That's why Jesus tells the story of the prodigal son. Not because it's just a really cool story. But because he wants to say, this is the father. This is what he's doing. He's hanging out. We all run away from God. We all stick two fingers up at God. We all say, God, we can do it our way. And God lets us go. But he's always waiting and longing. And what, he's, what has he done? He's sent his son to make it possible for those who have run away and found themselves lost to return to the father. That word salvation comes pregnant with the understanding of forgiveness. That's what God's wanting to do. He's wanting to forgive you. He's wanting to restore you. So when time Jesus is in, is in a building 
It's, a, it's, a, it's a, just a house and the building is rammed full of people and everyone's trying to hear Jesus because Jesus is doing incredible things and people are just excited about being around Jesus. Perhaps they want to tell their grandkids they were there when Jesus did some stuff. And there's not enough room so someone starts to dig a hole through the roof to get to Jesus and nobody knows what's going on. But the guy is lame and he gets face to face with Jesus and Jesus says something so ridiculous. That everyone is offended or upset. Jesus, instead of saying, be healed, he says, son, your sins are forgiven. And half the room is upset and the other half are infuriated. Who does he think he is? But Jesus is doing something brilliant. Because you see, your felt need is not always your greatest need. What you think you've come for, even tonight, is not what you really need. What you really need is forgiveness. What you really need is to be restored to a relationship with Father God. You need somehow for him to get in the gap. You need somehow for him to to stand in the place and make it right. And to offer you forgiveness and restoration and a clean start and a new slate and a fresh beginning. That word salvation comes pregnant with the the, the word or the understanding of healing. You see, in the Greek, the word salvation is the word sozo. And it's, it's it's more than being saved in all eternity. It's also about being whole. It's about being healed. It's about being freed up to be who you're supposed to be. It's about being free from addiction. It's about being free from, uh, from uh, a dependence and destruction and hopelessness. Not just in the life to come, but in the life right now. For us and for our salvation, he became incarnate of the Virgin Mary and he became a man. That's really important. You know, we did a baptism this morning with just an incredible testimony of a guy that for the last seven years has been wrestling with God and been angry with God and got himself in such a mess and he started to talk about how he, how he just hated himself and, and how God just began to deal with him and God met him. Do you know what happened? The man who is God met with Andy and totally changed his life. I tell you, like six months ago, that guy never had a smile on his face. He'd come occasionally, he'd sit right at the back in the balcony and he'd scowl at me all the way through my talks. And maybe some of you this evening. And, uh, and now he never has anything but a smile on his face and he sits right here. And he smiles at me all the way through and at the end of the sermon he goes, that was fantastic. And he can't stop telling because because Jesus, the God man, got hold of his life and changed his life. And if I came down here right now with a microphone, I could, you would there would be hundreds of you who would give testimony and say, "Do you know what? I am so thankful that for me and for my salvation, he became incarnate of the Virgin Mary and became a man. Because I've met him, I've met the God man, and he changed me." And he restored me and he reconciled me and he forgave me and he healed me. And here's my testimony and here's my story. It's really important that he's fully divine. It's really important that he's fully human. And it's really important that we get that. Do you know there are only two, um, two people mentioned in the creed? Mary is mentioned and Pontius Pilate is mentioned. One is celebrated and the other is condemned. And both dependent upon how they receive Jesus. One is celebrated and one is condemned. Both dependent.
upon how they received Jesus. I want to finish by saying he's, he's here this evening because he's God with us. He's here this evening because he came down and he's close. He's close to you, whether you know him or not, whether you're here for the first time or for the thousandth time, he's close to you. He's close in the mess of your life. He's close in the turmoil of your life. He doesn't, he's not missed it. He's really cool with details. He's not like me. He kind of knows stuff. He knows, he knows the deadline that you're struggling with right now. He knows the doubt in your head and your heart. He knows where you stand with him. He knows the relational chaos of your life. And he is like us. He's like us. He loves your kids more than you love your kids. You can trust him with it. He understands the finances. He, he knows that you don't know what you're going to do with your future. He's cool with that. He's got a plan. He's just inviting you into it. And he is for us. He's here for us. He's here with power to heal you tonight. To put you right tonight. To clean you up tonight. To offer you life tonight. To set you free tonight. That's what he wants to do. That's what he always wants to do. Do you know, Jesus isn't Superman. I thank God for that. But he is the greatest rescue plan this world has ever known. He's not Superman, but he's the greatest rescue plan. It's the only way that God knew to get your attention and to make a way for you to be restored. And he's here tonight. And he comes with salvation and healing and restoration and forgiveness. And he offers it. What are you going to do with him? Do you know the most important thought that you ever think is what you think about when you think about God? That was quite a sentence, wasn't it? The most important thought you ever think is what you think about when you think about God. i tell you why. Because you're a creation and he's the creator. Because he has a plan and you're it. Because he knows you and loves you and wants a relationship with you. And, and you can spend the whole of your life thinking the wrong stuff about God and running away from a God who doesn't exist. Or, or even worse, perhaps, you can spend the whole of your life thinking the wrong thing about Jesus, about God, and, and spend your life trying to appease a God who doesn't need appeased. He just wants welcomed. He wants you to welcome him in to change stuff. And so he's here tonight, and that's what he wants to do. So we pray. It's an audacious thought, isn't it? Jesus of Nazareth, the only son of the Father, who became a man, is here tonight, offering life and salvation. I want to offer the invitation to get to know him. And I want to pray for you. If you do, and the, the way to get to know him is just to say yes. He's always asking the question, do you want to know me? The answer is yes, if you want to. 
If you would love to get to know this Jesus tonight who changes everything, changes life, changes eternity, changes destiny, changes future, then just in the quietness as every head is bowed, just put your hand up because I'd love to pray for you. Just put your hand up now. God's been speaking to you. Bless you. Keep it up high so I can see. Yeah, bless you. Yeah, bless you. Keep it right up high. One or two more. God's just speaking to you. It's your chance. You kind of know if God's speaking. Because it wasn't me. It was him just saying something. Yeah, bless you. I see you. And upstairs, one or two. God, God is good. Let's just pray. Before I pray, I'm going to ask you to do something. If you put your hand up, I'd love you come and see me afterwards because I want to introduce you to someone who can help you. Begin to walk with Jesus. Let me pray for you. Let's, let's just pray. If you put your hand up, just pray this prayer in your heart after me. Jesus, I say yes. With everything I've got, I say yes. I want to know you. And I want you to know me in entirety. I place the weight of my life on the belief in my heart that you're a good God who is fully human, that you know me and you love me and you can lead my life. Would you come into my life right now? Would you free me, save me, heal me and lead me? I mean this.